You're listening to The Corbett Report. CorbettReport.com Well, friends, if you've been garnering your understanding of the recent heat wave and drought in the United States from the headlines and the op-ed pages of the major dailies in the uh, the United States, then you are probably as misinformed on the topic as you would be if you were garnering your information about 9-11 or about the crisis in Syria or about any of the other topics that we cover from the major dailies. And that's something that I would assume wouldn't really need to be spelled out in too much detail for the listeners out there. But as always, this broadcast is very much dedicated to exploring these issues and putting them out on the table and documenting why the MSM is wrong in pretty much everything they say. So tonight on Corbett Report Radio, we are going to be delving behind the scaremongering, fearmongering, catastrophist headlines that have been making so much, uh, so many waves in the mainstream media over the past several weeks about the global warming scourge, the man-made climate change scare, and how it's going to utterly alter our planet forever and how we can now definitively say this and dispel all doubt and skepticism. It has now been definitively decided. So says the op-ed pages of the New York Times and the Washington Post at any rate. So I will direct your attention to a few examples of what I think is really a growing trend in the last several weeks of trying to link some of the latest uh, high temperatures in the United States to this idea of the man-made climate change disaster. And one of them comes from Richard Muller, who is a scientist who headed up something called BEST, the Berkeley Earth Surface Temperature Project. And uh, this, this project was designed to go over the temperature record and to definitively state whether or not there was an increase in temperatures in recent years. And the results of this uh, best, or at least the preliminary results, because uh, Muller has now twice taken to writing about the results of this uh, this project before it being peer-reviewed and published, as the uh, the global warmists always insist is the only possible way to arrive at truth. But uh, before even releasing the results of this study, Mueller has gone on the op-ed pages of the New York Times to write this little op-ed called The Conversion of a Climate Change Skeptic. And this is the narrative of someone who was skeptical about this global warming hype until he started, until he really looked at the numbers and decided that it's all true. So now he's a converted skeptic, and now he will be, I guess, ringing the bell for the global warming alarmists. And it makes for a wonderful PR story until you actually look behind the headlines and figure out what's really happening. And then you realize that it is all hype and uh, and even the warmists aren't falling for it. Even the people who would supposedly be on his side are definitely not falling for it. Uh, you also have in the pages of the Washington Post recently, James Hansen penned an editorial Climate change is here and worse than we thought, in which the esteemed James Hansen of the NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies, the person who has been uh, basically hyping up the alarm the most since 1988, has uh, penned a new op-ed to go along with a new 
paper that he has published in PNAS, and I use the term paper in air quotes for uh, specific reasons, which we'll get into later, but this new paper seems to uh, link the extreme weather events of recent uh, recent months definitively to man-made global warming. There's no room for skepticism anymore. We can now definitively say extreme weather is linked to global warming. And, uh, and continuing along that lines, the New York Times also had an op-ed by a scientific team with an article titled 100-Year Forecast, Drought talking about droughts, floods, and fires, and how they are going to increase in the global warming world that we're living in. All of these are bunk and hype, and all of them have been soundly refuted by their very own colleagues in the climate sciences. So tonight we'll start breaking that down, and in the latter half of the program we'll have, as every Thursday night, James Evan Pilato of foodworldorder.com to talk about food, health, and the environment. So I hope you'll stay tuned right there. Alright, welcome back to Corbett Report Radio, friends. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we are going over the latest round of global warming hoax hysteria and the PR propaganda behind the man-made climate change scare, which is picking up steam and pace because it's a hot summer. It's, it's funny how these stories all seem to clump together in the hot summer months, but in the cold winter months they tend to lay off and back off the, uh, the global warming alarmism. I can't imagine why that is. But uh, anyway, let's take a look at some of the latest round of hoax alarmism hysteria that's been being propagated in the op-ed pages of various uh, national dailies in the United States over the past several weeks. And let's start off with one that's been made a lot of headlines because it fits the narrative perfectly for what the mainstream media wants you to believe on this issue, which is the idea that there are there are some skeptical scientists out there, but once they actually look at the data, they will be converted. And that is supposedly what happened to one such supposed skeptic, Richard Muller, who, as I was saying before, is uh, was heading up something called the Berkeley Earth Sur- Surface Temperature Project. For more on that, let's go to the man himself. Let's go to his recent op-ed in in the pages of the New York Times, The Conversion of a Climate Change Skeptic. Quote, Call me a converted skeptic. Three years ago, I identified problems in previous climate studies that, in my mind, threw doubt on the very existence of global warming. Last year, following an intensive research effort involving a dozen scientists, I concluded that global warming was real and that the prior estimates of the rate of the warming were correct. I'm now going a step further. Humans are almost entirely the cause. My total turnaround in such a short time is the result of careful and objective analysis by the Berkeley Earth Surface Temperature Project, which I founded with my daughter Elizabeth. Our results show that the average temperature of the Earth's land has risen by 2.5 degrees, 2.5 degrees Fahrenheit, over the past 250 years, including an increase of 1.5 degrees over the most recent 50 years. Moreover, It appears likely that essentially all of this increase results from the human emission of greenhouse gases. uh, Well, a very, very bold claim, and uh, one would expect a copious amount of evidence to back up such a bold claim. Certainly, I think the idea that temperatures are rising globally overall when we look at the longer trend in terms of centuries, I don't think there are many people who would dispute that at all, because we are still coming out of an ice age, and certainly the little ice age was only a few centuries ago, so certainly global temperatures are increasing. That that can be attributed almost entirely to the emission of human uh, greenhouse gases 
is slightly contentious, to say the least. But let's even go back to some of his earlier claims, as he was talking about in that op-ed, which, again, go read for yourself in its entirety, and the link will be in the show notes for today's episode, corbettreport.com slash radio. But as he, was, as he was saying there last year, he was able to determine, with the help of the his daughter on this Berkeley Earth Surface Temperature Project at berkeleyearth.org, that uh, that temperatures had risen by two and a half degrees over the past 250 years and well, one and a half degrees over the past 50 years. And they concluded that global warming was real and the prior estimates of the rate of the warming were correct. Well, there were even problems with that, which uh, were raised by none other than one of his colleagues who was working with him on the Berkeley Earth Surface Temperature Project, Dr. Judith Curry. And you can go, for example, to the Daily Mail, dailymail.co.uk, for more on that from October of last year. Scientists who said climate change skeptics had been proved wrong, accused of hiding truth by colleague. Quote, it was hailed as the scientific study that ended the global, global warming debate once and for all, the research that, in the words of its director, proved you should not be a skeptic, at least not any longer. Professor Richard Muller of Berkeley Earth University in California, Berkeley University in California, and his colleagues from the Berkeley Earth Surface Temperature Project team claimed to have shown that the planet was warmed by almost a degree centigrade since 1950 and is warming continually. It was cited uncritically by, among others, reporters and commentators from the BBC, The Independent, The Guardian, The Economist, and numerous other media outlets in America. The Washington Post said the best study had settled the climate change debate and showed that anyone who remained a skeptic was committing a cynical fraud. But today, the Mail on Sunday can reveal that a leading member of Professor Mueller's own team has accused him of trying to mislead the public by hiding the fact that the best research shows global warming has stopped. Professor Judith Curry, who chairs the Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at America's prestigious Georgia Institute of Technology, said that Professor Mueller's claim that he has proven global warming skeptics wrong was also a huge mistake with no scientific basis. Well, I'll look you, let you look more into that particular issue for yourself, but uh, you can also check out more about Judith Curry and her comments on the Mueller affair at judithcurry.com, where she maintains a blog. And she's had st- uh, many things to say about the recent Mueller um, story, the, the PR propaganda that he's a converted skeptic, and what that's really about. So I'll invite you to go to judithcurry.com, where you can read several articles on this subject. But uh, one of the more recent ones, the irresistible story of Richard Mueller. Mueller. The story surrounding Richard Mueller is providing some interesting insights into the psychodynamics of climate change science. I find the story surrounding Richard Mueller interesting for several reasons. At the end of the post, I will provide my own analysis. Here are some recent articles that I found to be interesting or insightful. And then she goes on to talk about some of the stories and the way that the story is being framed, because it does fit that narrative so well of the converted skeptic. But uh, Judith Curry goes on to talk about this and why it's uh, it's not what people think it is. And and she has a lot of very interesting things to say about this I- in issue in particular, and particularly because she was working on that Berkeley Earth Surface Temperature Project last year and does not work on it any longer. Um Interestingly, but but more backlash from uh, from people uh, who should uh, know what they're talking about. We have, uh, for example, from scienceblogs.com. We have something from William Connolly from July uh, last month. He wrote, Mueller is still rubbish. (laughs) 
When Best first came out, I said it was boring because it just said what everyone knew already. Summary, the global temperature record is just what we thought it was. There was some soap opera thrown in for fun, but that didn't affect the science. But now, it seems that Mueller is announcing new findings via an op-ed in the New York Times. Although I'm not really sure what the new findings are, they appear to be the temperature record is still just as we thought it was, and it appears likely that essentially all of this increase is due to human uh, to the human emission of greenhouse gases. The first bit is still boring. The second bit is true, but isn't a consequence of the study. Well, once again, I'll let you continue reading on from that. And of course, this is coming from a warmist, someone who does believe the global warming propaganda and uh, signs onto it wholeheartedly. But even he is recognizing that what Mueller did in his project does not follow that the, that he has proven anything about the attribution of temperature rises to humans. That is a completely different field of study than what Mueller is engaged in. And his study does not actually uh, provide any of that as people like Stote, I'm sorry, people like Connolly writing this article in Stote, the science blog, uh, can attest to, and others is, have as well. Even Michael Mann, the uh, the, the arch-climate uh, uh, hysteric, has uh, dismissed Mueller's claim as self-aggrandizement. So uh, so no no one really seems to be buying what Mueller is selling. But uh, we can get even more about this um, from tomnelson.blogspot.com, which is another great source on these issues. Um, he, he posts some of these, uh, claims that people are making about, uh, about Mueller. Um, climate change study forces skeptical scientists to change minds. Um, but, uh, then it goes on to quote, uh, Judith Curry that, uh, the study was way oversimplistic and not at all convincing in my opinion. And, um, uh, it, it goes on with some other stories from there talking about the Mueller story. Again, I'll let you look into these. All of the links will be there. But suffice it to say, the Mueller story is not the way it is being projected in the sound bites that it's being uh, relayed to us in. These little glimpses of the story that they give you. Oh, converted climate skeptic. He was even on Fareed Zakaria's GPS before Zakaria suddenly uh, got cancelled from the airwaves for committing plagiarism, which I find to be particularly funny because he's one of the uh, the absolute mouthpieces par excellence for the uh, the global elite and the CFR, etc. But that's neither here nor there. At any rate, I hope you will look beyond the headlines on the Richard Mueller admission and find out what's more behind it. Let's move on to number two. There was James Hansen in the pages of the Washington Post claiming that climate change is here and worse than we thought. Quote, when I testified before the Senate Senate in the hot summer of 1988, I warned of the kind of future that climate change would bring to, to us and our planet. I painted a grim picture of the consequences of steadily increasing temperatures driven by mankind's use of fossil fuels. But I have a confession to make. I was too optimistic. My projections about increasing global temperature have been proved true, but I failed to fully explore how quickly that average rise would drive an increase in extreme weather. In a new analysis of the past six decades of global temperatures, which will be published Monday, my colleagues and I have revealed a stunning increase in the frequency of extremely hot summers, with deeply troubling ramifications for not only our future, but also for our present. Oh, James Hansen, the NASA Goddard Institute for Space Studies learned scientist, is publishing a new study looking at the last six decades to find that there is an incredible increase in extreme weather events. And that can only mean one thing, man-made global warming. 
Unless, once again, you actually start looking past the hype and to the stories that go to actually talking about what this is really about. And uh, for that, I will direct you to worldclimatereport.com with an article simply titled Hansen, Hansen is Wrong. And uh, it's an interesting expose uh, that starts out, In his recent pl- press bl- blitz, NASA's James Hansen tries to tie extreme weather events, such as the current drought affecting much of the central U.S., to anthropogenic global warming. But the real world argues otherwise. Hansen is quite adept at timing global warming pronouncements with extreme weather events. Recall that it was during a similar hot, dry period back in the summer of 88 that Hansen first testified to Congress that global warming from human greenhouse gas emissions was impacting current weather events. Testimony which many credit as giving rise to the global warming is going to be bad movement. But then, as now, the tie-in between weather events and human changes to the uh, atmospheric greenhouse gases and tie-ins to specific events are ill-supported and ill-advised. More on this right after these messages. All right, welcome back to the program, friends. Once again, James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and tonight we're going over and destroying some of the recent uh, global warming propaganda that's been propagated through the op-ed pages of various newspapers across the U.S., and we're currently destroying the recent James Hansen scare about his... uh, paper in the PNAS about, uh, about the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, which is uh, not peer-reviewed, but PAL-reviewed. Um, and there's more on that in the link that I'm giving to this World Climate Report article, Hansen is Wrong. So continuing and getting into the meat and potatoes of this article, it says, quote, across the U.S. over the past century or so, both temperature and precipitation have been on the upswing. Figure one shows the U.S. annual PSDI, that's Palmer Drought Severity Index, from 1985 through 2011. The more positive the PSDI values, the wetter the conditions are, the more negative the PSDI values, the drier things are. There is no statistically significant trend over the 117 period of record, although the non-significant tendency is upwards towards wetter conditions, evidence that the increase in precipitation is more than offsetting the impact from rising temperatures in the U.S. And it goes on to talk about, um, it goes on with with other examples, talking about U.S. annual temperatures, talking about uh, global warming versus non-global warming statistical analyses. The graphs and the charts and the data is there for people who are interested in it. But unfortunately, very few people are interested in the actual data when it comes to these issues. They're only interested in the headlines. And the headlines say such things as, climate change is here and worse than we thought instead of actually giving any type of analysis that would actually back that up. For further destruction of the Hansen claims, I would invite you to go to uh, drroyspencer.com, and uh, there's a guest post up there from uh, John Christie of the uh, UA Huntsville, Alabama State Climatologist, who was one of the uh, co-lead authors on the IPCC report, and he is talking and basically destroying this Hansen study, which you'll remember Hansen talking in his op-ed how he's looked at the last six decades of data. The last six decades, going back to the 1950s, wow, I wonder why he started there. Why not the last eight decades? Why not the last ten decades? Why the last six decades? Why did he start in the 1950s? Well, hmm. in this uh, article, it's an extensive article. Again, I'll let you look into it for yourself. But basically, Christie answers that by saying that if he had started in the 1930s, the entire study would have been very different. 
Quote, the bottom line of this little exercise is that I believe the analysis of Hansen et al. is based on assumptions designed to confirm a specific bias about climate change, and then, like a legal brief, advocates for public acceptance of that bias to motivate the adoption of certain policies. And that goes right back to the Washington Post op-ed that he wrote, where he basically admitted this is about convincing the public and getting public acceptance of this idea so that there can be political consequences. Uh, using the different assumptions above, which I believe are more scientifically defensible, I don't see alarming changes. Further, the discussion in and around Hansen et al. of the danger of carbon-based energy is simply an advocacy-based opinion of an immensely complex issue and which ignores the ubiquitous and undeniable benefits that carbon-based energy provides for human life. All right, so once again, that's a very large uh, article with a lot of very detailed analysis and data and graphs for people who are interested, and I hope you will go and look into that. And one other piece of propaganda alarmism that will destroy tonight, because why not? Also from the New York Times, 100-year forecast, drought. This is by Christopher Schwalm, Christopher Williams, and Kevin Schaefer. Quote, by many measurements, this summer's drought is one for the record books. But so was last year's drought in the south-central states. And it's been o- it has been only a decade since an extreme five-year drought hit the American West. Widespread annual droughts, once a rare calamity, have become more frequent and are set to become the new normal. Until recently, many scientists spoke of climate change mainly as a threat sometime in the future. But it is increasingly clear that we already live in the era of human-induced climate change, with a growing frequency of weather and climate extremes like heat waves, droughts, floods, and fires. End quote. Well, a very interesting article, and very alarming if it's true. And certainly, why wouldn't it be? These prestigious scientists are writing this op-ed. Surely they have the data to back up what they're talking about. This new normal of annual droughts, etc. Except for the fact that they're wrong. And uh, funnily enough, that was pointed out not by some crazy global warming skeptic, but by Andrew Revkin, who uh, was the NY NY Times uh, mouthpiece for the global warming propaganda and continues to be a a warmest uh, in all but name. But uh, even he tweeted out a link to a, a New York Times image which shows the longest measure of drought, 21 centuries of rainfall in New Mexico, showing that, in fact, uh, not only is are they wrong, it's, in fact, uh, startlingly wrong that, uh, that there have been a lot more decades of a lot more droughts in the past. So, uh, so this is definitely not unusual. There is no unusual amount of droughts or anything. It's just that they are garnering more national attention, and the, the, uh, the warmists are jumping on every chance they get, as they always do, to run up the alarm and the hype. And thankfully, even the warmists aren't buying it and aren't accepting the, the likes of Mueller and, uh, and the Schwalm team, not accepting their claims uncritically. And nor should you. If you are getting your climate change and global warming science information from the headlines and op-ed pages of the major national newspapers, you are not getting the full story. So once again, I will provide links to all of these articles and even more destroying these claims. And I hope you will take the time to actually look into them and do some research before parroting some of this information and going half-cocked with some of these ideas that they're trying to ram down our throats. On that note, we're going to take another short break, and when we come back, we're going to switch gears and go into food, health, and environment with foodworldorder.com editor, webmaster, and general man about town, James Evan Pilato. So stay tuned right there. We'll be right back. i 
Okay, welcome back, friends. Welcome back to Corbett Report Radio. This is James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, and we are going to switch gears a little, as we tend to do here on Thursday nights. We're going to go into FoodWorldOrder.com, which is one of the many websites of the second hardest working man in alternative media, <laughs> James Evan Pilato, of MediaMonarchy.com and HolyXs.com and CyberspaceWar.com and FoodWorldOrder.com and NewWorldNextWeek.com. He's got enough websites to start a small army of his own, so uh, I hope you'll play along tonight and switch to FoodWorldOrder.com so you can uh, read along with us some of these very interesting stories that he's got posted up. James, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks so much, man. I, I missed not being here last week. That's right. It's been a little while, so I'm sure the uh, the listeners will have missed your dulcet tones. Uh-huh. And uh, But I hope they at least caught uh, your most recent uh, podcast episode, which uh, I understand has been quite the hit, and deservedly so. It was a great episode. Yeah, it has. So, you know, you can never really plan which, which episodes are really going to take off, but I think sometimes when you, when you finish an episode, you can kind of go... Yeah, damn. That, yeah, that was a good one. So it's nice to then get the get the feedback. So for folks out there, that's episode two hundred and sixty nine from MediaMonarchy.com. I call it Mind Games. But James, we'll, we'll look at Food World Order, and you, you mentioned New World next week, and a lot of those articles you were just hitting in the previous segments are some of our related stories to the third and final story on on our new world next week about the canadian climate con right yeah that's right i I got a little frustrated at the end there because there was so (laughs) much to go through but not enough time so i figured i'll use this soapbox to, to get it through so james let's let's take it from the department of good news we you know we've got to have we have to have good news and there is good news farmers markets keep growing We'll take this from civileats.com, and it's right on track with what we've already been, what you've already been discussing tonight. The worst drought since the 1950s continues to wreak havoc on America's breadbasket, shriveling up commodity corn and soybean crops and driving up food prices. But there is heartening news from the local agriculture sector. Farmers markets are booming. Last week, the USDA released its annual update of the National Farmers Market Directory, which is now 7,864 markets strong. It's a 9.6% uptick since last year and more than double the number of markets since 2004. The latest tally was announced in preparation of National Farmers Market Week, which started this past Sunday and has been formally acknowledged by the U.S. Agriculture Secretary since 1996. As stated in a proclamation signed by Secretary Tom Vilsack, one of the goals of the week-long commemoration is to, quote, further awareness of the many contributions farmers make to daily life in America. I would say we always have some massive understatement of each episode. Hopefully this is that one. In addition to California, which far surpasses any other state with 827 markets, New York, Massachusetts, Michigan, and Wisconsin are the five most farmer market-centric states. The Mid-Atlantic region, Delaware, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, my home state of West Virginia, New Jersey, and Pennsylvania has experienced the most growth, a combined 15.8% increase of markets since last year. Over the years, farmers' markets have been criticized for being exclusive dens of foodiedom, but access is changing, albeit slowly. As of last year, less than one-fourth of all farmers' markets were equipped with wireless EBT technology to redeem SNAP, that's Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, food stamp vouchers. 
A $4 million USDA grant issued in May aims to make more markets SNAP voucher friendly. James, this is what we're talking about. This is the revolution that only happens you know, in your refrigerator or in your medicine cabinet. It happens a block and a half away from me where the Irvington Farmer's Market is, and hopefully it's happening a block away from where anyone else out there is. Hopefully so. As we've said many times, this is the revolution, and you're exactly right. And uh, we've talked about it many times that uh, that getting off of the the big food, big supermarket chain store um, mentality is is an absolutely essential part to all of this because we fund our own enslavement to the system by uh, by giving them our dollars every day. But uh, but let's let's look at that. Uh, in addition to California, which far surpasses any other state with 827 markets. New York, Massachusetts, Michigan, and Wisconsin are the five most farmer market-centric states. That's uh, that's interesting to me. As a non-American, what do I know? But uh, but it, those would not be the states that would necessarily come to my mind for most farmer market-centric. Where's Oregon? That's a great question. That is a good question. I don't know where they fall on that list. It's possible... You know, we're not quite big enough, maybe uh, population-wise, right. to make it. One I'm of wondering the most. if that's per capita, but then you got like Wisconsin or something in there. Mm-hmm. It's bizarre. And then with the other ones, maybe their growth. Perhaps Oregon has already kind of been there, so yeah. we're not seeing the massive growth because we were hopefully kind of ahead of the curve. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I would assume that uh, that it, like Portland, uh, I'm sure there are many places out there with a lot of farmers markets. And I hope if you don't know your local farmers market, that you make the effort to find out about it and start frequenting mm-hmm. it. Because once again, that is the revolution. So, James, we're, you know, you're talking about temperature, and it is it's uh, it's still it's it's 97 degrees right now, even at 7:30 at night here in Portland. We're having pretty much our our hottest, I hope, week of the year. And I not a fan of the heat. And and folks who you know have been following my work and following these shows for you know at least the last month know that I you know I'm over a month now quitting smoking. I've had a lot of sleep issues, so then of course the heat, good lord, does does not help me. But it's you know getting better, getting better every day, and keep you know kind of fighting the fight. Should we continue? Oh yes, yes indeed. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know what to say to that, but yes, uh, I, I just want to say good good job. Yeah. Hang in there, and uh, yeah. don't worry, it'll be over in a few days. You'll get rain, tons of rain. I hope. Yeah, I hope so. Continuing on all, all the latest on foodworldorder.com, and again, always a huge thanks to my man Adam in Nova Scotia for, for keeping the site updated. He basically does all the standalone posts, and then I jump in here on Thursdays and post the big binge and purge, which we'll hit in the last segment. But from Mercola.com, James, fat, not glucose, is the preferred fuel for your body. And and again, James, I've tried to make you know, these positive changes, which, you know, I'll definitely get into even more tomorrow on my live show. The quitting smoking has been the one massive change that then, for me, set off, you know, kind of a chain reaction of of other positive events. So then I see these stories and go, yeah, that, you know, that's right. While we may consider ourselves to be at the pinnacle of human development, our modern food manufacturing processes have utterly failed at improving health and increasing longevity. During the Paleolithic period many thousands of years ago, our ancestors ate primarily vegetables, fruit, nuts, roots, and meat, and a wide variety of it. This diet is high in fats and protein and low in grain and sugar-derived carbohydrates. The average person's diet today, on the other hand, is the complete opposite, and the average person's health is a testament of what happens when you adhere to a faulty diet. 
I think just yesterday or two days ago, Alex Jones had a doctor on saying, you know, there's, there's an epidemic of illness because everyone's food is terrible. Humans today suffer more chronic and debilitating diseases than ever before, and there can be little doubt that our food choices play a major role in this development. Quite simply, we're not designed to eat large amounts of refined sugar, high fructose corn syrup, cereal, bread, potatoes, and pasteurized milk products. As Mark Sisson states in a featured article, and again, all all these links, everything will be provided for you. If you want to live a better life and eat the best foods nature provided for health and fitness, then it's time to ditch the old paradigms and climb on to the primal approach to eating better. James, I know, and I've thought of, and, and again, with the heat, it makes it kind of easier to go, well, I sure as hell don't want to turn on the stove. And you can have fruits and nuts and vegetables and, and you know, lots of wraps. And I'm, actually today I'm like, oh, I'm out of almonds. It's so much, it's so much better, James. It really is, and that's one of the great things about uh, about living in Japan, because in the summer it's just too hot to eat anything that even approaches hot, so uh, there's a lot of uh, just cool foods and, and things like that that are obviously much healthier than a lot of the crap that we eat on a regular basis, and it's so obvious to me that, uh, that I mean, you just didn't have the 350-pound uh, over, overly obese people walking around in such a wide, uh, <laughs> sorry, that was a bad pun, in, in such <laughs> large numbers, I don't know how else to say that, a, a few decades ago, or several decades ago, I mean, this is a recent phenomenon and it's directly tied to the processed crap food that people are eating on a daily basis now i I think that couldn't be any more clear Mm -hmm. james let's do an update on a story we did hit here two weeks ago man begins 30-day jail sentence for collecting rainwater on his own property gary harrington the oregon man convicted of collecting rainwater and snow runoff on his rural property turned himself in last wednesday a a week and a day ago, to begin serving his 30-day jail sentence in Medford, Oregon. Quote, I'm sacrificing my liberty so we can stand up as a country and stand for our liberty, Harrington told a crowd of supporters gathered outside of the Jackson County Jail. James, I went to the dentist today, and of course, you know, you're talking about health issues, and they're, of course, you know, super excited about my quitting smoking and, you know, better eating and more exercise the hygienist hadn't heard this story and she, you know it just it blows people's minds when you tell them this and they're just like why and i can't really exactly say why other than we worry that you know oregon's turning into some crazy new york styled collectivist you know nightmare right and and that's the point isn't it i mean there's no one who hears that story and goes good i'm glad they got him you know damn those people collecting rainwater obviously it's the stupidest thing ever but it it functions because they don't tend to hype up and publicize these incidents so so it's good that there are sources like food world order drawing attention to these stories so that people can regain that sense of outrage which is absolutely central to understanding that we are living increasingly in that police state and that we have to do something about it James, a, a brief one, and then we'll return to the outrage. Just some Oregon outrage. How about that? Ha- hashtag Oregon outrage. We'll we'll put that <laughs> out. Twitter dot com slash media monarchy or at Corbett Report. 
From naturalnews.com, court forces chemo on eight-year-old Minnesota girl despite family's desire to use alternative medicine, where once it was rare for the courts of law to invade the privacy and purview of parents when it came to raising their children. In today's America, the wall between parental rights and the state's leviathan is increasingly being dismantled by activists disguised as public servants. And this goes into a sad story in Minnesota. And James, this is one of those stories that I think, you know, I also cover on holyhexes.com when it comes down to, you know, parents who want to, you know, faith heal. And I think sometimes these stories get all kind of lumped together that basically if you don't want to put your kids through toxic, you know, pharmaceutical industrial complex chemotherapy, even if you're trying to do it the natural way, they can kind of lump it in and go, oh, we're just, you're some religious nut, right? You're just trying to pray over them and, and think everything's going to be all right, right? Yeah, well, this is uh, this goes back to the very fundamental issues of health freedom, which I, I was looking at over the past several weeks on the eye-opener report for BoilingFrogsPost.com. The question is, who owns your body and who owns your children? And um, if the answer is not you, I think uh, you would have to supply a pretty good reason why that's not so. And uh, and it's one of those things. Liberty is not always something that everyone's going to agree on. Free, we don't have free speech, uh, the First Amendment, because we, we want to talk about the weather. It's to talk about controversial things right i mean it's uh so again if you don't own your body then the the government can come in and do what they want with it and uh same goes with your children well and then the same goes as we we've hit our next story and this is something that i think you know we're really gonna we're really gonna kind of take on and and become you know more of a push and take an active you know move on this as i hold up my glass of of filtered water however I haven't had to go out and get an extra fluoride filter because Portland has been the one of the last big cities in America to not fluoridate the water. However, I got an email a couple weeks ago from from a listener who gave me Dr. Paul Connett's information saying he wants to, you know, come out and and go big and talk about this. A source from inside the Portland City Hall said, "Hey, they're about to do a big fluoride push in Portland." And about a week and a half later, here it is on opb.org. That's Oregon Public Broadcasting. Fluoride in Portland water. And I posted along with the headline of the propaganda push begins. A council or rather a coalition supporting fluoridated drinking water has been working on getting a fluoridation proposal before the Portland City Council. Fluoride proponents say it's a substance that's been shown to reduce tooth decay and improve health. Opponents contend that the benefits are unproven and do not outweigh side effects and that people should have a choice as to whether to ingest fluoride. Portland is the largest city in the nation not to add fluoride to a water supply. 39 public water systems in the state do fluoride, including Tualatin, Beaverton, and Salem. Residents of Philomath recently voted to bring fluoride back into its taps. And they close by saying, you know, do you support adding fluoride to municipal drinking water? Why or why not? What are the most important science or policy questions on your mind? And this was the propaganda push on their Think Out Loud segment Tuesday or Wednesday here on, on OPB. James, ultimately, this is what it's all about. It's, it's about our own personal freedom. If you think fluoride's so good, you go get it. You go do it. If you think the vaccines are great, you go get them. You go do it. Don't force your medicine on me by putting it in the very water that, well, I guess, you know, the other one, if you're going to put a guy in jail for collecting water, I guess 
maybe maybe the water isn't all of ours, James. But I know you've done a, a ton of research on this. You've done entire episodes on the the fluoridation. So I've already started to put out the call and put out the numbers to City Hall. We're trying to track when they're actually going to put this up because hey, guess what? I think we've voted it down in Portland three times in the past. So that's why they're basically doing an end run in City Hall and are basically going to try and cram it through without letting people say anything. But I think if we show up and show up big time and let them know, then hopefully hopefully we're going to be able to fight this off, James. Well, I'll do what I can from here in Japan to to help with that fight, and we should have Dr. Conrad on again because he is a great guest on the subject. But uh, all I can say is from my own personal experience, here's my my deep confession. I lived in Calgary, uh, Alberta, Canada, most of my life, and uh, they started adding fluoride to the water supply in about 1989, which was when I actually left to go to a different city in in that province. But uh, but I came back a few years later, and they were fluoridating. And in back 1998, 1999, somewhere around there, they had a plebiscite uh, asking the people, do you want to continue fluoridating? And I was a young, stupid university kid who just didn't care about anything. So I said, well, I don't care. I have filtered water anyway, so what does it matter? So uh, so I didn't get involved in that, and I didn't campaign, and I didn't do anything to actually try to get the fluoride removed. And luckily, as people might know, Calgary did remove the fluoride last year, and that was one of the success stories. But I always feel a bit of guilt about the fact that back then when it came up for a vote, I didn't even bother to vote, let alone to actually do anything about it. So uh, I'm just to anyone out there in Portland or anywhere in, in one of those places where this is an issue and it's coming up for, for deciding, if you don't get involved in it, you're going to be kicking yourself for a lot of years to come so take my advice and get involved in this it's i mean when it comes right down to it it's it's an it's an industrial poison byproduct that they go oh what are we going to do with all this crap oh let's sell it to people and and put it in their water supply and make them think it's it's good for them and in james you know we'll make the obligatory like you did on the podcast episode you know it's about our precious bodily fluids indeed all right let's take a short break we'll be right back to wrap things up after this break All right, friends, welcome back to Corporate Report Radio on this sweltering hot evening and or morning, depending where you are in the world. But uh, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, I hope you're staying cool. And if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I envy you. <laughs> As a Canadian, I, uh, I much prefer the cool weather to the warm weather. But anyway, uh, James, uh, a couple more stories left. Let's get to it couple more stories let's we'll blast through it and then we've got basically an announcement to make james uh, a post from the realfoodchannel.com on the ultimate freedom and that is food security and that is again going back to making our own food meanwhile we'll see that you know the the, the big boys will always try and criminalize it because they've got the dough to throw around but our massive binge and purge is called Nocebos, Mutants, Mess, and More. An interesting one from the New York Times is, again, I, I, you know, I explain as I'm kind of going through my own kind of health changes, I find that then I see articles that kind of speak to me and are, and are timely. Beware the nocebo effect. The non-existent side effects of a placebo can be real for a patient who expects to have them. So I'd implore folks to check that out. There's no way I'm going to read through the binge and purge. Again, like all these things, we implore folks to go check it out for themselves. Just some of the high points that I kind of brought out. G20 plans response as food prices climb, as worse drought in more than half a century dev- devastates crops. 
UN calls on U.S. to halt biofuel production as drought devastates corn crops, as again, the biotech industry has their hand in the destruction that these droughts are, are causing. Monsanto donates $4.2 million to defeat the upcoming California GMO labeling initiative. I believe that's Prop 37 on the ballot coming up. India cancels Monsanto's GMO cottonseed license. Pfizer pays 60 mil for bribing foreign doctors. And maybe this brings it full circle, James, from ClimateDepot.com. They applaud the VP pick, Paul Ryan, and his climate science views and his understanding of the climate gate scandal. James, do you, do you know anything about that? Uh, well, it's not really. It's just another GOP candidate who will go along with, um, with the, the, what, what appeals to the GOP base. So, again, it's just left-right politics, so who really cares? And it's not a reason to vote for Ryan or Romney, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, but at least he's on the right side of one issue. <laughs> so, James, this is the sad part of this show, I guess, where I have to say, this is probably the last time I can do this with you, James, because I'm about to have a big change in my work schedule. And that's a part of what I'm, I'm going to basically make kind of a, a big announcement on my show live tomorrow morning. I, You know, some of the closer folks around me, James, you, you know what I'm talking about, Brock out there in australia he knows what i'm talking about it's going to be awesome but it's going to be a huge change and a huge effect on the media monarchy kingdom ultimately it's not going away by any stretch it's going to go through a transition but i think it's going to be an amazing one james so ultimately you know we've done 30 episodes of these food world order and i love it and i love doing it and i'd hope that at some point we can maybe get back on track and maybe continue these or even, you know, perhaps do one-off interviews on, on some of the food issues where maybe we'll kind of focus in on, you know, maybe some of the Portland issues that we've, that we've brought up here on all these episodes, James. Absolutely. Well, you have a standing invitation to be on the show whenever you can, if you ever can, with your new work schedule. And I'm looking forward to that episode and the announcement. And uh, I hope people will tune in because it is a pretty big announcement. So um, good luck. And uh, thank you so much for all of the work you've done here on uh, Food World Order over the past 30 episodes. Oh, man. It's, James, it's, it's my pleasure. All the time that you and I have together has been, has been amazing. That's also not to worry, folks. New World Next Week ain't going anywhere. New, New World Next Week is, is money. Absolutely. We're going to continue that. That is absolutely one of, uh, one of the most important things that I do and you do, so we'll definitely continue that. At any rate, well, let's, uh, let's not make a bromance out of it. I just want to say thank you once again for everything you've done, so, uh, so good luck on your, uh, your new work schedule, and uh, we'll, we'll talk again in the future, and we'll talk on New World next week. Yep. Thanks, right. man. Take care. Good night, everyone. Yeah.